0: Uh, First Corinthians, Chapter Four, please. First Corinthians, Chapter Four. And I'm going to start in verse 14 and read to the end of the chapter. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord will. And I will know, not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? And let's pray. Lord God, I ask for us that we would understand the the words that are spoken, that we would wisely and properly apply them to our own situation and setting, and that we would do this with your grace and approval. And I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I seem a little echoey, am I? Am I echoey? You okay? All right. Then we move on. So we've really, in these verses, in verses 14 through 21, come to, this is the end of the subject. Excuse me, as far as Paul is concerned of something that he has begun very early in the book, <clears throat> addressing, he puts at first their worldliness, their, world, their love of worldly wisdom, and then their carnality, and then he adds to that their pride, <clears throat> their puffed-upness um, at their situation, and this is the primarily the wrong way that they view those that God has given them to lead them, um, which is certainly an egregious infraction. Um, and so Paul now has, again, he has begun to, to bring this to a point. Right, He has, he has taught them uh, the dominant theme. And just always, folks, when we read 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1-2 is the verse that we should go back to always, that we are set apart in Christ, really by Christ, And for Christ to do his work and his service in a world that is obviously at odds with him and this is this is at the heart of all that he says is that in the book is that the world has a way of operating the world has a way of thinking the world has a way of behaving and the church is placed into that world but it is never to become the world into which it is placed What I want to do this evening, rather than walk through the verses 14 through 21, just simply in sequence, verse 14, 15, and 16, <clears throat> is to just try and grasp, just to look at it rather by theme and see what it is that Paul is saying to these people in conclusion. If you look at verses 16 and 17, <clears throat> Right the first thing that I want to call your attention to is this is that Paul wants one thing he is asking them for one thing one response <clears throat> excuse me he wants one response from the Corinthians and as we'll see from verses 16 and 17 folks he wants this not only of the Corinthians but of every believer and I do not want to, don't want to belabor this this evening, but I'm going to say it yet again. Right, <clears> 1 <throat> <First> Corinthians, <clears throat> Corinthians deals with many issues that are problematic in the modern culture. In the Western church. The role of women, for instance. And in the way we behave about certain things. And <clears throat> one of the ways that those verses... These verses are undercut in modern culture is by arguing that Paul was dealing only with one culture, his. But I would just point out to you that repeatedly in the book of Corinthians, Paul will say, all the churches, this is what I say to all the churches. In 1 Corinthians 1-2, all of us call upon the same Lord, and the instruction is for all the churches. So let's look at verses 16 and 17. Wherefore, I beseech you, be followers of me. There is the one thing that he wants, folks. All right. so let's remember. These are, these are people <clears throat> who are blatantly worldly wise in the way they live and the way they do ministry. And these are people that Paul has called carnal. He has had to speak to them as if they are young children not mature believers. And he has talked to them and will continue to talk about them to them about the fact that they're very proud of themselves and they're very inflated about themselves. And from them and from all of God's people Paul wants one thing. And of course we know that it isn't just what Paul wants, it is what the Lord wants. And that is, verse 16, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. And so a couple of things there, folks. First of all, don't turn this or think of this as simply an emotional appeal. As if Paul is simply begging them to do this. It is. I mean, I'm not saying there's not emotion to it. But Paul is instructing them. He is calling them to this. The word beseech there refers to as if one was being summoned to a court of law. I am am appealing to you. I am telling you to do this. And that is a very common Greek word that it means to be comforted or besought or to desired. And it is here a verb. But the words be followers are a command. You must do this. And in fact, it is the only imperative, folks. If we were to to pick this apart, it is the only, it's not the only verb in the paragraph, verses 14 through 23. But it's the only imperative in the paragraph. It is the only command that we are to obey. It is the voice that we are to hear. And the word follow is the word mimic. Mimic me. I am calling you to this command. Imitate me. Imitate me. Now, of course, upon the basis of having that command, folks, a couple of questions would become pretty easily asked how are we to imitate Paul? What about Paul are we to imitate? Why are we to do it? And we will come back to that. I just want us to see at this point that Paul wants one thing from the Corinthians and all believers. Verse number 17, we know that he wants it from the Corinthians. Wherefore, I beseech you, be followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So it's pretty obvious from verse 17 that what he wants us to imitate in verse number 16 are his ways. And Timothy's job is not to come and say, in effect... This is how I would do it. Paul does it like this. This is how I would do it. We're really very similar. Timothy's task is to come to the church at Corinth and explain to the church in Corinth more fully what Paul does. Because Paul is the benchmark. Timothy is not. And this is because, folks, Paul is an apostle and Timothy is not. And in a little bit later... Study several weeks down the road in 1 Corinthians 5, we'll talk a little bit more about the significance of apostles and their authority in the early days of the church. So I'm telling you that you are being called by God's Spirit to imitate me, and I'm sending Timothy, who is going to tell you what I do and tell you how I do it, and this is what I do everywhere that I go. This, you're not being singled out. This is what I say <clears throat> to everyone. And what Paul then does, folks, <clears throat> is he comes back now. Right? We have this appeal, I beseech you be imitators of me. And Paul walks through a variety of ways in which he endeavors to stress upon the Corinthians the importance of this. He's not giving them an option. Folks, verse number 16 is not optional for the church. We don't don't get to decide if we want to imitate Paul. We get told to imitate Paul. In verses 14 and 15, then, he treats this, this is where I would argue the emotional appeal is. Right? He's going to talk to them, first of all, very tenderly. I am not writing these things, verse 14, to shame you. That is not the point of what I've said. Not to publicly humiliate you for your errors. But as my beloved sons, I warn you. I am admonishing you. I want you to take what I'm telling you to heart. And here's the tenderness for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. You don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. And what he's arguing there, folks, is exactly what he is saying. If you would think of your physical being, your physical existence, in the course of our lives, we are going to have many people that teach us I don't really remember much about her at all, but I remember the name of my kindergarten teacher. That was Sixty years ago. I had teachers all through elementary school, junior high, senior high, teachers in college, teachers in three colleges. I have been instructed by church and I don't I don't mean I'm not there's nothing sinister in what I say. I have been taught things by church members by friends. I have been instructed by many pastors who have written books and preached sermons. I have thousands of educators, but I only have one set of parents. This is one of the reasons, folks, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that we are commanded to honor our father and mother. We only have one set. They are unique. Lots of people will teach you. You can learn from all kinds of people. You can learn good things from bad people. And you can learn sometimes bad things from pretty good people. But just as there is only probably only one set of parents that you will have, there is going to be one person that the Lord used in bringing you to salvation and Paul does not deny that. I would. This is not the point of the study, and please don't go down that trail just yet, but I find it personally fascinating that after two chapters of stop pitting me against Apollos, we're both the Lord's laborers, Paul says, you know, the only father that you have is me. The only spiritual father that you have is me. And so he makes then this very tender appeal. Since that is the case, since that is the case, imitate me. Imitate me. But again, folks, it's not simply an emotional appeal. It is a command. And then he takes an instructive approach in verse 17. Now I'm going to send Timothy to teach you. For this cause I've sent Timothy unto you, Timotheus, who is my beloved son, faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ. So, Timothy is going to come alongside, and again, he's going to explain to the Corinthians what Paul does, how Paul does it, why Paul does it this way. And that's going to be Timothy's task. And, of course, Timothy is going to instruct them in the Bible, but he's going to instruct them in the way that Paul is obedient to the Bible in comparison to the way the Corinthians are disobedient to it. So there is a tenderness to what Paul says to them. I command you to follow me. There is an instructive element to the command. I'm going to send somebody who can teach you how to follow me. And then verses eighteen through twenty-one, folks, he takes a very stern position. So Paul covers, and I'm going to read, but Paul covers all the bases, right? To those who perhaps will respond best to the notion that Paul is their only spiritual father. To those who perhaps will be even more responsive to the instruction of hands-on, like Timothy. And some people just need to be dealt with more firmly. Now, some are puffed up. There's There's that condemnation again. Some are inflated as though I would not come. Paul's blowing smoke. He's not coming back to Corinth. Been to Corinth, not coming back to Corinth. Let him write all the letters he wants to write. We're going to do what we're going to do. But I will come to you shortly, verse number 19, if the Lord will, and I will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod? Or in love and in the spirit of meekness now let me just ask you to take to very briefly and I'm going to deal with it primarily positively look at First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9 Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom? The kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, there's, there's a positive element, folks, and what I'm getting at is this. Paul said, some of you think that I would not come, but I will come. And when I come, we will have a little power contest because the kingdom of God is not just about words, it's about power. Now, you, you tell me how, what Paul you want to meet. Now, the question, folks, right, and this is a question not just for Paul's day, but for our day. Can the wisdom of the world take the kind of people that are described in verses 9 and 10 and make them the kind of people you find in verse number 11? Can the world do that? Or do you need a supernatural power? Now folks, we could go back into the book of Acts, that's not my intention, you go back into the book of Acts, and you could see the way in which the Lord empowered the apostles to do tremendous physical things. They could could speak a word and people could be healed, and they could speak a word and people could be blinded. They could speak a word and people could be dead, and they could just get bitten by a snake and not be dead. These were men with extraordinary spiritual power and abilities. So when a man like Paul writes a letter to you and you open the letter and it goes like this, now, you just tell me what Paul you want. Understand, folks, that Paul has a lot of weapons in his arsenal. That if he were to come with a rod, he is not just going to give them a verbal lashing. And we know that because he said, "I, I know all about the speech of the inflated ones. But I'm not worried about the speech of the inflated ones. I would come in power. So Paul is dealing with them about this singular matter, you need to imitate me. And I beg you on the basis of our relationship to imitate me. And I'm sending Timothy who will instruct you how to imitate me. And I'm telling you that if you don't come to this, that I will come, and I can come as gentle under control, Paul, or I can come as Paul the discipline, Paul the Disciplinarian. The choice is entirely yours. That's just the way it's put in verse twenty one. What will ye? Tell me which Paul you want. Which Paul would you like to have? And that brings me to this, folks. What does Paul, what does he want in verse number 16? How would you, because this is something that he teaches in all the churches, and he's teaching it at Westwood Heights by virtue of the written word at 1 Corinthians, how would you imitate Paul? What would you and I have to do to be a Paul imitator I want to take your attention back to, as we try and answer that question, I want to take you back earlier in the chapter to verses 8 through 10. In verse number 8, Paul describes how the Corinthians think of themselves. Now ye are full, now are ye rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign that we also might reign with you. So we talk about that. They think themselves as being full and adequate and powerful. People of standing and stature and ability and success. They have everything. But then in verse number nine, he begins to talk about his own situation. And not just his, but all the apostles. Remember, we looked at this last week. I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last. The end of the line. As it were appointed to death. And we talked about that, the Roman triumph. For we are made a spectacle, literally a theater, under the world to angels, to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. Ye are wise in Christ. We are weak. You we are strong. You are honorable. We are despised. So how you view yourselves, how we compare to you, verses 9 and 10. And then in verse number 11, 12, and 13, what he and the other apostles are experiencing. Even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and are naked, and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place, and labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat, we are made as the filth of the world and are the off-scouring of all things to this day. All right, so here's my question. As Paul writes this, let's, let's take him at face value. Verse number 11. Even under this present hour we hunger. If I'm going to imitate Paul, should I go hungry? Is that what he wants? He's written to the Corinthians that they were full. And even unto this hour we are thirsty. If I'm going to imitate Paul, should should I stay thirsty? Should I drink no more water than is absolutely essential to keep my physical life alive? Should my constant condition be that of thirst? Because I am an imitator of Paul. He was naked. Should we hurry up and dismiss the service so that we may all go home and throw our clothes away? So that literally, when the sun rises tomorrow morning, you have absolutely nothing in your wardrobe but the clothes you wore to church last night. Because we're Paul imitators, and Paul's naked. I mean, we have to ask the question, folks what does he want? What does he want? Is that is? I mean, let's just ask the question: Is is what's wrong with the church that we have too much? I mean, after all, Jesus told a rich man, "Here's what you need to do to go to heaven: You need to get rid of everything." And how would we? really imitate him in verse 12 and 13 what would we have to do what would we have to do that we're not doing that would bring us into that spot he said we have no certain dwelling place verse number 11 should we put our houses on the market tonight Buy a tent. Put up our little folding chair on one of the intersections in Omaha and get our little sign, Homeless for Jesus. Paul was beaten. Should we go out and make ourselves so odious to people that we are physically abused? Now, folks, I think that if we really just think through it like that, we would begin to wonder if that's what Paul is really encouraging. And I would just point out to you that on the basis of the book of Philippians, that is not at all what Paul is encouraging. Because Paul told the Philippians that not only did he know how to suffer, he knew how to abound. So that, folks, if we somehow... Miracle upon miracle could could invite the Apostle Paul to come and speak even one service at Westwood Heights Baptist Church. And we said to him, Brother Paul, we want to take you out to a nice meal. He would not say, oh, no, no, I never eat nice meals because we're all supposed to be hungry. No, Paul knew how to go to a nice restaurant and enjoy a good meal. And Paul knew how to open up a walk-in closet and look at a a wealth of clothing, and he knew how to handle that. And he knew how to open his checkbook and see a positive balance in it. He knew how to handle it. He knew how to abound. He wasn't arguing, and in fact, we'll really deal with this when we get into First Corinthians 7. He is not arguing that self deprivation is a virtue. So, what does he want? Well, let's start by noting this, folks, that all of those deprivations that Paul has mentioned there in verses 11 through 13 are not deliberate choices, but they are the consequences of deliberate choices. Paul didn't choose to be impoverished and thirsty and naked and homeless. He never wrote, folks, you can't find it anywhere in any of the letters that Paul wrote, that this was the ideal to which he aspired. And in fact, we already know this. We dealt with it not too long ago. He wrote in 1 Timothy 6 that God gave us richly all things to enjoy, not to be guilt ridden about. But when Paul talks about these deprivations, folks, they are consequences of choices. And without turning to it this evening, we will get to, and we get to that section, the choices are summarized in the expression, the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, he says that several times. Everything is about the gospel. So if I can, whatever he means by the gospel, if I can do the gospel and be full of, I'm fine with being full. But I'm first going to do the gospel. And if the gospel is being hungry, being physically deprived and emotionally berated, then I'm going to do the gospel. In other words, folks, let me suggest to you that what Paul is urging upon the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4.16 to be a follower of him is not deliberate, self-inflicted poverty. And neither is it being so contentious to the unbelieving world that they enjoy abusing us but that what Paul is simply doing is personifying what Jesus has called all of us to do. Let me ask you, if you would please, to turn to Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8 and verse number 34, these are the words that we have. Mark tells us, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever. So this is the apostles and the people, and this is a whosoever. Whosoever will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And folks, what Paul was calling the people to do was to do just what he was doing, just what Timothy could attest to what he was doing. He was following Christ wholeheartedly, unreservedly. That's what he was doing. He was following Christ. And you notice, folks, in the gospel account there that what you are to deny yourself is not listed because what you are to deny yourself is not the subject matter. You are to deny yourself you. We are all called to the same standard, which is to deny ourselves anything that impedes following Jesus. But that is going to vary by your gender. Following Jesus for a man is different than following Jesus for a woman. I do not follow a Jesus by being a good mother to my children. We both follow Jesus. We both must deny anything that would impede following Jesus. The following Jesus is not the same for every gender. Neither is it the same for every personality. We're all sinners, folks, but we're not all inclined to trip over the same sin. We're all weak, but we're not all inclined to be weak in the same areas. This may vary depending upon specific calling. Not everybody gets called to vocational ministry. Not everybody was an apostle. Not everybody was an evangelist. Not everybody is a pastor. But anybody who gets called, we will come to this in 1 Corinthians 7. Not everybody is free legally free as a believer. But everybody is to follow Christ if they're a believer. It's just going to vary. We do not all then deny ourselves the same things, but we all are called to deny ourselves in the same way, which is to follow Christ. And folks, there can be no doubt in the mind of anybody who is even remotely interested in dealing with the text of Scripture seriously that Paul was completely committed to being a follower of Christ. So anything that would be an impediment to my consecration, I'm called to deny it. And anything that would be an impediment To my obedience, I'm called to deny it. And if we say, but that just seems hard and I don't know how anybody can do it, we are again and again referred back to the Apostle Paul who did it. Who just did it. Everything for the gospel. Anything for the gospel. And this is the message, folks, to go back to verse number 17. This is the 16 and 17 of 1 Corinthians 4. This is the message for all Christians in all churches in all time. All right, I'm going to stop there this evening. Um, Let me add something to your prayer bulletin right away.